Welcome back. You excited to finish up the semester? Well, all right, two or three more weeks than Christmas, so lock in. Let's get this done. Uh, let me confess to you as we start, I am not excited about today. I have a hard sermon to preach, so, um, and I'm very flawed at the topic that we're talking about today, as we all are. So I, I walked in today and I saw a shirt right here in the third row. No perfect people allowed. Would you stand up? Yeah, what's your name? Trevin. Trevin. All right, turn around, Trevin, so everybody can see your shirt. All right. Trevin has on the perfect shirt for today. Thank you, Trevin. Uh, if you're a perfect person, you can leave because you know more about this than I do. And so you can walk out the door. We are in James chapter 3. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 1. By the way, if you leave, we know you're lying. So, but anyway, the text says you are. Uh, James chapter 3, we're going to talk about the tongue today. It's not going to be fun, it's not going to be easy, uh, but we're going to talk about it. And this is one of the reasons people don't preach through books of the Bible. Because if you don't preach through a book of the Bible, you can skip these hard passages like this that you don't really want to talk about. But it's one of the reasons it's really good for people to preach through books of the Bible. And it's one of the reasons I would encourage you, when you leave Cedarville, to find a church and get locked into a church that preaches through books of the Bible, that just relies on the text, walks through verses, tries to explain the text to the best of our fallible human ability and, and lets the text speak. So we're going to do that today. So let's just dive right in here. James uh, 3, 1 through 12, the untamable tongue. We should be able to tame it, but we can't. Why can't we tame the tongue? We can't tame the tongue because we have hearts that have a sinful nature. The tongue gives us a temperature check on our hearts. It tells us what our hearts really desire. The words that come out of our mouths that shock us the most give us a clue to where our heart really is. So in a sense, as we look at this text today, we admit up front, all of us are flawed in this sense, very much so. In fact, John Calvin said, there are many sins in life that fade away with time. There are sins that you just don't struggle with anymore the older you get. This is not one of them. Now, if John Calvin is saying that this is something that you, don't, that you struggle with all of your life, all of us should expect to struggle with this all of our life. I think we struggle with it in different ways. When I was younger, I would feel that temptation to boast, to be prideful, to, to want to be accepted, to want to exaggerate stories. Uh, the older I get, the less, the less that is the temptation for me. Now it's more the temptation to brag on my children, to exaggerate stories about them. It's more the temptation to brag on you guys and, and Cedarville and want everybody to know that we are the best Christian university in the world, period. And, and, and I, I believe that, but there's this temptation whenever somebody else wants to challenge that to say, oh no, let me tell you. Pride gets in the way. It just happens. There's the temptation when you hear things to gossip. Now, let's be honest. Do we have a problem with gossip at Cedarville? I, I'm hearing nothing. You guys have tongues. You got to use them today, all right? Do, I hear, do we have a problem with gossip at Cedarville? Yes or no? All right. Every church does. There's no perfect people. So here we walk through a text and we admit up front that one of our biggest issues as believers and followers of Christ are the words that come out of our mouths. The words that we just sang praises to God with are the same tongues, the same words that we then turn around and look at fellow believers, look at unbelievers created in the image of God, and we curse them, and we gossip about them, and we talk bad about them, and we jump on them, and we lie about them, and we say angry things about them. And this is what our text is about, and it's just going to lay us open. And I stand here before you as a flawed person, 
but I got to preach the text. Here's what it says. James, for the sixth time, but in all five chapters, addresses the issue of the tongue. Let me remind you that in James 1.19, he said this to us. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James 1.26, he said this to us. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James 2.12, he says to us, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. James 4.11, which we'll get to next semester. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. He goes on to talk about there being but one judge. James 5.12, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. And then we have James 3. Now, if in six times throughout five chapters, 108 verses, he addresses the issue of the tongue, it's not just an issue for us. It was an issue for them. It was an issue that we all need to focus on and we need to come back to if we want to live a mature Christian life, if we want to follow Christ in the way we should. This message is also countercultural. Think about what you've been taught. Think about what you've heard as you were growing up. It's just words. You ever heard that? I didn't mean it. Have you ever heard that? It was just locker room banter. Have you ever heard that? I was just joking. Haven't you ever heard of sarcasm? Come on. I was just kidding around. And yet we know that in every one of those biting, sarcastic comments, there's a sliver of truth. Otherwise, it wouldn't be funny in the first place. And we know with every one of those times that we cut up or we joke with people around us, we know that those comments sometimes hurt. And some of you have experienced that hurt, as have I. When somebody would say something that's just a little bit too close to home, And that just sits on your heart and weighs you down and makes you feel unaccepted. And those words just ring in the back of your mind and even affect you years and years later as you still have those words ringing in the back of your mind and you live a life to overcome words that somebody said in a flippant way in a moment's notice that have ripped you in two. And those words have hurt you. And we so flippantly and carelessly let those words utter forth from our mouth that do so much damage. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How many of you have heard that? How many of you believe that is completely untrue? I am rubber, you are glue, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. I said it in middle school. I don't, it doesn't mean anything. It's just a comeback when you can't think of anything else to say, right? It's not true. We say other things that perhaps have more truth, like loose lips, sink ships. We look at the Bible and we see that mouth, tongue, words, things of that nature are mentioned over 2,700 times throughout Scripture. We recognize this is a big deal. So if you're here today and you say, we talk about the gospel so much here. I want to know how to become a mature follower of Christ. This is it. 
You want to know how to become a mature follower of Christ? Watch your words. Guard your words. Look at what your words say. Your words reveal your heart. And those words that come out of your mouth that when you evaluate, you say, I shouldn't have said that, there's a heart condition there. And that's when we see that heart condition because God is gracious enough to reveal it to us through our words that we should fall on our knees, repent, and begin to work on maturity of that heart condition because that tongue shows us our heart. When we go to the doctor, the doctor says, stick out your tongue. He takes your temperature so that he will know what your health is. James is saying to us today, stick out your tongue because your tongue is going to reveal what your heart really believes and what your heart really thinks. And so you're going to gauge your spiritual condition today by looking at your tongue. Jokes, sarcasm, put downs, exaggerations, telling other people's news, gossip, being passive aggressive and refusing to talk to someone as a way of punishing them when you're really not punishing them at all, spreading lies, telling secrets to know how much you know, pride, exaggeration, the list goes on and on. And all of us struggle with all of these in one form, fashion, or another. And so we come to our text James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Would you stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word? Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, well, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and driven by strong winds, but they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, We curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Dear Lord, today we need grace. We need it every day, but especially today. Lord, I am a flawed vessel to communicate your message this morning. So I pray that the Spirit would speak, that we would read your words and your words would come off the page and be alive in our lives, that the Spirit would convict us, that you would help us to grow in godliness today. Lord, today our hearts are heavy also because of Jen's health. And so, Lord, we pray that you be with the doctors as they perform surgery on her leg, as they diagnose how to help her and in her recovery. We pray that you'd be with her mom and dad and give them peace. Lord, we pray that you would just be in that situation and help her to reach full recovery as quickly as possible. God, today we stand before you recognizing that we are all flawed people. 
We need mercy. We need grace. We need the Spirit's help so that we can live lives that are glorifying to you. So this day, help us, Lord, to evaluate honestly ourselves, to live a life that's glorifying to you and edifying to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. James starts off chapter 3 with a caution for teachers. This caution is kind of like James' flow of thought. He goes from the passage that we talked about last time where we talked about faith that has works and faith that does not have works and what is a genuine true faith. And he transitions and says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. He uses the my brothers there, which gives us an indication that he is changing subjects. And he says, why shouldn't you become teachers? For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, I have to tell you that there was an impulse when I was writing this sermon to say, we're dismissed right there, right? I mean, the preacher is standing here talking about not many should become teachers. That's a convicting, powerful thing. And we have teachers all across this campus who, even though they may teach other subjects, integrate the Bible in what they do, and they teach in their local churches. And to all of us, this rings as a caution, and we bear the weight of that. We recognize, and I recognize more than most, the own flawed ability to present the gospel and try to preach it accurately. I recognize there are times when I stand up here because I want you to like me and think that I do a good job, that I'll tell jokes, I'll insert jokes into a sermon, just because I've realized jokes sometimes play well and that you like jokes because it makes it a lighter sermon, but the joke really doesn't hold the point forth, it happens. There's a self-centeredness that comes with those of us who teach, and, and here we understand that we want people to think we're doing a good job, and, and, and there's an opportunity and a discipline to say, you know, if I can bring Scripture to bear on this, especially to Christian University, then that, that closes the deal because Scripture trumps all, and so sometimes we even take and twist arguments for our own sake or for our own purposes and twist Scripture to support our own arguments, and let me just say to you as, as teachers, as a fellow teacher here at Cedarville, that, that you see this message, you hear this message, and let us be cautious as to how we use the word of God. Let us be careful. Let us try to be accurate. We will make mistakes. Let us be quick to repent of those mistakes, quick to show a humility as we seek to teach the word of God. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Oh, let us be careful what we say and what we do in front of students and how we do it, considering the outcome, considering the judgment, James is going to go on and he's going to give us three points in here about the tongue. First, he's going to talk to us about how the tongue guides. Then he's going to talk to us about how the tongue destroys. And then he's going to talk to us about how the tongue reveals. First, we look in verses two through five at the tongue guides. You see it here. For we all stumble in many ways. I'll stop there. This is something we all need to recognize and understand. My name is Thomas and I have a problem. Say that with me. Don't say Thomas, but say your name. My name is, and I have a problem. Let's say it one more time. My name is, and I have a problem. If we recognize it and we admit it, it takes away that air of arrogance about us. It takes away that fact that we look on others sometimes and think we're better than them. This text brings humility to us because this text says we all stumble, not just that we stumble in one way, but we all stumble in many ways. You may look up to your teachers, you may look up to some, but you've got to understand that all human beings are flawed vessels. All of us have a sin nature we struggle with. Even though we seek to pursue God with all that we are, we all stumble in many ways. Not because we want to, but because we have this sinful nature that rips at us. We all stumble. We don't have for prideful arrogance to think we're better. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says in particular, he's a perfect man. Here that perfect means mature. 
So here we understand another point. We have to make sure that we keep our guard up. This is never going to go away. All throughout life, what you say is going to be something that you struggle with. So keep your guard up. And here you understand, too, words that may not comfort you a lot, but we all stumble. We all say things that we don't mean. So when somebody says something to you that they don't mean, you can't overreact to it. You have to understand that they are a sinful human being just like you're a sinful human being. And even if they uttered sinful words that may hurt you, you can't overreact to those words. They are words. It is sinful. It is wrong. It is not right. But we are all sinful. And so recognizing that I'm just as sinful as everybody else in this room allows me to have the humility to offer forgiveness and grace to those who make mistakes and those who mess up. It says that a person who can control his tongue is a perfect man. There are no perfect people. But it is a mature person that can guard his or her words, and they're also able to bridle the whole body. What James is saying to us here is if you can control what you say, you can have in submission to your will everything else. We know that we will never reach perfection. That's not what he's saying, but he's saying here that we can reach a maturity, and he gives us two illustrations of it. There's the illustration of a small bit that will guide a large horse. Most horses weigh about 800 pounds. The bit, as we've already talked about previously, slides into the mouth. This little piece of steel will go in between the cheeks of the horse. And as you pull on this bit, it will guide the horse's head. And where the horse's head goes, the horse's body typically follows. We understand that a small bit can control a massive animal. An animal that we could not overpower, and yet you can take somebody who weighs 100, 110 pounds, and you put a bit into that horse's mouth, you put a bridle on that horse's head. If they know what they're doing, they can sit on the back of that animal, and they can control that animal to make that animal do many different things. By a small bit, that big, large animal is guided. It's also the same way with a small rudder of a large ship. A large, massive ship can be controlled by a small rudder, even though the winds may blow that ship to and fro. The captain, by the will of where he wants that boat to go, can have that rudder and guide that boat to a specific location. If that rudder is damaged, that ship would be in trouble. If that rudder is not wise in its direction, or if that captain is not wise, or if that rudder goes out, that ship could head for shipwreck. In fact, in World War II, the mightiest German battleship was the Bismarck. It sank because its rudder failed. Germany had launched the Bismarck to attack the Allied ships, and the British Navy intercepted it, and the Bismarck sank the hood, the pride of the Britain's Britain's Navy, in less than 10 minutes. The British put everything they had into a counterattack, and one little tiny plane apparently struck the rudder of the Bismarck and left it where it could no longer control where it was going, and that's how the ship ultimately was sunk. The rudder of that massive ship is an important piece. And James is saying to us here that just as the bit controls the mighty horse or guides the horse, just as the rudder guides that mighty ship, so also the tongue is a small member. It is a small muscle in our mouths, but yet it boasts of great things. It helps control our direction. The tongue can guide your life. And when I hear this and when I see this, I look out and I think about you who are young. You have your full life ahead of you. I think about the things I see that we post on Twitter, that we post on Facebook. I think about the things that we put out. I even think about people who want to work at Cedarville. And when they want to work at Cedarville, I go on the internet and I look at them and I find out what they have to say and what they've said and what's available on the internet. And and I even think about one particular person that wanted to interview at Cedarville that in his tweets had made comments about he didn't believe in higher education, how he didn't think that teaching was important, yet he was applying for a job to teach here. He didn't get hired. Words, they matter. Words, they have an impact. 
I think about words I've heard as we've had some chapel speakers. Some in particular that had odd breathing noises and things of this nature and how they just commented on publicly. I think to myself, oh, that's not wise. Oh, let's not do that. The tongue. It can guide you. It can guide you in a direction where we sing praises, where we say things that are good, where it is helpful to us. It can also shipwreck us on the shores of despair. How quickly we say things. I think about how quick we are to criticize past decisions. I hear people that never can get over some decisions that are made in life or in organizations or in things and they want to criticize and they want to talk about things and all they want to do is live in the past and talk about the things of the past and not move forward to the future and those words continually churn up negative feelings, negative emotions. Our tongues can guide us. I want to say to you, I want to say to all of us today, let us make sure that we use our tongues to guide our lives well. James doesn't stop there. He continues on in verses 6 through 8. He talks about how the tongue destroys. It gets even worse. The tongue can guide us. It can guide us in a good direction. It could guide us in a bad direction. But then he moves in verses 6 through 8, and it gets even worse where he talks about the tongue as something that destroys. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. On the news last night, there was a fire in Gatlinburg. Woke up this morning and, and Googled it just to see what was still happening. It's still going on. They still can't stop it. We understand that there are forest fires that happen in California, some now in South Carolina, uh, North Carolina, and now in Tennessee that, that have happened during a drought situation, a small spark that starts a fire, and then that fire cannot be stopped. That fire spreads, and that fire destroys massive forests just by one small flame. And yet when you think about the water that it takes to put out that fire, that water doesn't spread in the same way that that fire does. That cooling, healing agent, it takes so much of it to overcome that one small flame. The farther that that flame goes, that tongue is a fire. That tongue can start a spark. That tongue can destroy a forest. That tongue can destroy people. That tongue can destroy communities. The devil would love nothing more than to use the tongue to cause division among God's people in the local church and here at a Christian university. He would love nothing more than to cause division between you and people that you love by saying things that you may not even mean that hurt and that cut and that create division. He would love to destroy and tear apart our dormitories and the units that are there to create division, to create hardship so that you're not focusing on your academic studies. You're not focusing on growing closer to God, but you are focused and your life is taken up with this other person and this hatred that is going on, this disagreement that happens. He loves to destroy sports teams as sports teams begin to talk back and forth to one another and personalities get involved and Coaches have to deal with this constantly of managing the personalities and saying, get along. The devil uses our tongue. It is a spark that destroys. Smokey Bear comes to mind. I don't know why, but I couldn't get him out of my head because he said only you can prevent forest fires, right? Some of you may not even remember those commercials. They were real popular in my day when I was much younger, but it's true. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the guarding of our hearts, that we can prevent those fires that the tongue puts out. Chicago fire, October 8th, 1871. The story is told, the legend is. I don't know how true it is. I wasn't there. Mrs. O'Leary's barn, a cow kicked over a lantern. I don't know if that's how it started or not. I don't know that anybody knows. But we know the results. 17,500 buildings 
were destroyed. 300 people died and 125,000 people left homeless. If that happened from a cow, that cow's probably dead, but if not, they should kill it and eat it or do something. I mean, that's one small spark destroys a wildfire. It gets worse. The tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. In this little slender piece of muscle is contained the ability to have all the unrighteousness of the world. With our tongue, we can say, we can hurt, we can direct, we can encourage all the unrighteousness of the world. Oh, what a dangerous muscle this is. You think about James. James doesn't say, hey, be careful. Watch your elbows. They're really nasty. Maybe if you're playing basketball in the low post, but other than that, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, watch your knees. Your knees are dangerous. He says, watch your tongue. Over and over and over again. Heed the warning from James. All of us must heed the warning of James. It's unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. I might as well just say it. When I say the name Donald Trump, what do you think of? I I think it's some of the things he said. He's our president. We pray for him. We respect him. I pray for him frequently. I pray for those around him. I don't mean to disrespect him. But some of the things he said, they keep coming to my mind every time I think about it. And then I think about myself. I, I don't mean to put him down or criticize him, but I think, have I said things that cause people to think about those things I've said in my past every time they think about me? The tongue can stain your entire body. Oh, how careful we should be with the words that come out of our mouth when it stains the whole body. Setting on fire the entire course of life. I almost think if this little muscle can set on fire the entire course of life, then get rid of it. Let's, let's cut it out. Let's be done. But then we also know that it's that same tongue that allows us to sing praises to God, that allows us to share the gospel, that allows us to speak words of encouragement to others. It can wreck your entire life. And set on fire by hell. Oh, those are strong words. The word hell there, Gehenna in the Greek, points back to the Old Testament, the Valley of Hena. It's the place where Melech, the idol that was the bull with the arms extended, where they would take babies and burn babies and sacrifice them to Melech. It's the place in the Valley of Hena where they would take bodies that were dead and they would burn them. They would take trash and burn them. It came to mean among the Jewish circles a place where the burning never stops, a place where babies are sacrificed, a place where bodies were sacrificed. It was an awful place. It was hell. Jesus mentioned Gehenna many times to talk about hell where the fire never stops, where a person never dies, where the worm is always present. He talked about it as though it were a horrible place. And here James, knowing the teachings of Jesus, says to us in this particular passage, it is set on fire by hell. Your tongue in your mouth, one of your members, is something the devil can use to set it on fire by hell itself to cause division in the body of Christ. Oh, how careful we must be with our words. He gives us that analogy. A small fire can destroy great things. He gives us another analogy, another illustration. 
A small tongue is a restless evil full of poison. He compares it here to to animals. And and it says in verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature. And that should bring to mind Genesis 1 where we're talking about the creation. And and these are the same four categories that were used there. And it says can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Now, as I read this, I think in my mind, perhaps exercising dominion is a better concept. I, I think about taming and we don't tame every single creature throughout life. There are some creatures that you you just don't tame. They're wild. It it just doesn't happen. Uh, But we exercise dominion over them. Uh, So for a little levity, I'll tell you a little story just to help get the moment a little bit bit lighter. So one of those creatures that we don't necessarily tame as pets, but we exercise dominion over is a rattlesnake. How many of you think it's a good thing to exercise dominion over a rattlesnake? I've got a picture of one here for you. Look at this. How many of you want to tame that guy? It's not going to happen, is it? So when I lived in Texas and moved to Texas from North Carolina, I was afraid of rattlesnakes because I, I didn't know how they acted. I didn't know what they did. So, so what do I do when I'm afraid of something? I decide to go hunt it. I mean, that's just it's a weird little quirk, but it's whatever. So there's a place in Texas called Sweetwater, which has the Sweetwater Rattlesnake Roundup. They actually, some of you are hiding because you can't look at that picture. Uh, it, it actually, they have, they have a, a queen of the Rattlesnake Roundup. They, Miss Snake Charmer pageant is what they call it. It's a real thing, all right? I, it's, it's crazy, but, but it's there. It exists. So I went to the Sweetwater Rattlesnake Roundup and went out hunting rattlesnakes in the hills. We would take a mirror and we would take this stick. They would not let you take guns on the Rattlesnake Roundup, but they would let you take a stick. Uh, they also would let you take alcohol. I didn't take any alcohol, but one of the guys with us had drunk a six-pack before we had ever finished getting started to hunt the rattlesnakes. So I'm sitting here thinking in my mind, I'm out with these guys, and you can't have a gun, but you can have a six-pack, and you're going to hunt rattlesnakes. This is not a smart thing to do. But we're out, and I'm digging into the hills with a, with a mirror trying to get a rattlesnake out. And as I did, I actually found a rattlesnake right there in that location. And this is the rattlesnake that I pulled out of that hole as I went rattlesnake hunting. I've actually got this one on the wall in my office. I skinned it and put it on a board and a board from the area and got some barbed wire and, and it's sitting on the wall. So if you're scared of rattlesnakes, just don't come to the office. I can meet you in somewhere else or something like that at some point in time. But we take those rattlesnakes then and they would take them back to the, to the rattlesnake roundup and they would put them in a pit. I have a picture of the pit for you. Now here's the funny part. Look, I, I interviewed this guy. I wanted to know more about rattlesnakes. So I asked him, why are you in the pit? Seemed like a logical question to me. He said that rattlesnakes crawl up on top of each other and suffocate the ones that are on the bottom and you have to keep moving them around in order to keep them alive. I wasn't that concerned about keeping them alive, but (laughs) apparently he thought that was a good thing and he wanted to keep them alive so they could extract the venom so they could use it in antivenom in Texas in that year or something like that. So then I asked him this next question. Why do you have tape on the bottom of your pants? It's red tape. So he said to me, well, last year, I don't remember the guy's name, but last year when Bubba was in the, in the pit, there was a little baby rattlesnake crawled up his leg. It got up to his thigh before he realized it. And he couldn't get it out before it bit him. And it unleashed all of the venom because it was a baby rattlesnake. And baby rattlesnakes are more dangerous because they unleash all their venom, whereas the older, more mature rattlesnakes only unleash a little venom at a time. I asked him, I said, how much did that cost? Over $100,000 worth of hospital bills. for. But Bubba wasn't there. He didn't come back to the Rattlesnake Roundup the next year. You want to know what it compares this to? The tongue. We've tamed every creature, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
Just like that little baby rattlesnake that unleashes all its venom at one time, if we are not cautious with our tongues, if we act immature with our tongues, we can unleash venom that we don't know we've unleashed and do damage that we can never get back. The illustration is given in many ways. It's given in local churches here. It's given of context overseas. A person goes to a spiritual leader and says to them, I have a problem with things that I've said. I want to make it right. What do I do? And and some people who tell the illustration say, you take a feather, a pillow full of feathers and go spread the feathers out at every person you've said something bad to all across town. Others will say you take a bucket of chicken feathers or whatever if you're in a foreign village and you take it to every place. And then they come back and they say, okay, I've done what you did. Am I, am I forgiven? And then they say to them, no, now you go back and collect all those feathers. And, and the point of the story and the illustration given is that you can't collect the feathers because the wind has blown them everywhere. And when we tell lies and when we gossip and when we talk about other people, we can never pull those words back in because as those words are laid in various places, those words are spread. Those words are given to somebody else. And as those words go forth, we do massive damage that we can never take back. It's like that spark. It takes masses, massive amounts of waters to put out that one little spark as it erupts into a great flame. And here is what he's telling us. We have conquered every beast. We have dominion over everything, but we can't even tame our own tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue destroys. He also tells us in our third point that the tongue reveals. Look at verses 9 through 12 quickly here. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. Good things. Oh, but with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. How easy is it for us to look out on the actions of other humans created in the image of God, even if we think they deserve it, even if they have said something that is completely out of line and we want to jump on them and put them in their place. We even have words for it. I'm going to give them a tongue lashing. We do it. We sing praises to a God that is gracious and has forgiven us who are great sinners and yet we go out and with other people created in the image of God who are equally great sinners in need of his grace, we use our tongues to destroy them. Here James says, and he gives us some questions as he looks at this, but he says, from the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Here's his question to you. He gives you two. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? And the answer is no. It's a rhetorical question. But you recognize if a spring has fresh water coming from it, it's always fresh. If it has some salt water coming from it, even if there's a small amount of salt water with the fresh water, then the water is brackish. It is salt water. Even if our words, the majority of them are good and pure and holy, and we have a small amount of words that destroy and hurt, our words destroy and hurt. The negative overrides the positive. And here we plead for mercy at the foot of the cross. He asks another question. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You're going to know a tree by its fruit. You know the condition of your heart by the words that come out of your mouth. Like John Bunyan's character, talkative in Pilgrim's Progress, who could talk a good talk, but at home he was a wicked, evil person. He talked and said things. He didn't back them up. His tongue could get him in trouble. You know, we have graciously been given an instrument that allows us to take the temperature of our hearts. So the next time you find yourself gossiping about somebody, notice that that reveals a heart condition about you. The next time you find yourself exaggerating or lying or cutting somebody down or seeking the pleasure of men, the seeking to please others, seeking to have uh, men respect you or women respect you, seeking to impress those. And ladies, the mature person here is the person who guards their mouth. If, if you're in a serious relationship with a guy, watch how that guy talks about his mother because one day that guy's probably going to talk about you the same way. The words that come out reveal the heart condition that lies within. 
God has graciously given us this. Throughout Scripture, I give you these in closing, but throughout Scripture, he gives us several warnings. I just want to let those warnings weigh on us this morning as we think about where we are, evaluating our hearts, our condition, as we plead to the mercy of Christ. Look at Psalm 141.3 on the screen for you. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Proverbs 10.19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Psalm 15, 1 and 2. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commands knowledge, but the mouths of the fools pour out folly. Proverbs 17, 27 and 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Proverbs 18, 7. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Proverbs twenty nineteen. Whoever goes about slandering, revealing secret, reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. Matthew twelve thirty four. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Matthew fifteen eighteen. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. There may be somebody here on this campus that you need to go to today and apologize for words that you have said. Words they may not know about. I would encourage you to do what the Spirit leads you to do. If you want to see revival, if you want to see the Lord do something special here, we've got to be on guard against the devil's tools. And one of them is careless words from our tongues. If we want to see the Lord do something amazing in our lives and through this place, we should be quick to repent with humility, to confess, and to confess to others. Brother, sister, I said something about you I should not have said, and I'm sorry. I don't want to be that person. Let us be known as a place here at Cedarville where we don't talk about people, where we don't gossip about others, where we don't make fun of people who aren't like us. We don't cut on people. We don't use our tongues even at sporting events, shouting out things that hurt the other team or shouting out rude things against referees, but that we use our tongues to build up, to encourage, to uplift, so that when people show up on campus here, they say, my goodness, what a community who demonstrates the love of Christ by their love for one another. We all stumble in many ways. The grace of the cross and the power of the Spirit. Let us be wise in trying to control the untamable tongue. Oh God, our task is high, our burden is heavy. We cannot do it alone. So we ask for your grace, we ask for your mercy, we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to live within us, to help us to use our tongues wisely 
Lord, we ask for us to be sensitive to your spirit so that we may feel conviction when we speak poorly, that we may be quick to correct those words and repent. That, Lord, we may use our mouths to encourage one another to glorify you, but, Lord, not to curse those created in your image. May it be so in my life, Lord, and in the lives of all of us, for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You are dismissed.